Dynasty Podcasts is proud to present PodClass, a series of conversations recorded at a college, university, or other academic or industry settings. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast at DynastyPodcast.com. Today, talking with Cruella manager Nathan Lim in a live interview recorded at the Intro to Management class I teach at Columbia College, Chicago. Here's how that sounds. All right, Haima Black for Dynasty Podcasts live at Columbia College, Chicago in my Intro to Management class that I am teaching this semester. And I am here, very privileged, very happy to be joined by Nathan Lim, manager of Cruella and Chicago native, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, guys. Haima, thank you for having me. Always, always, man. I mean, uh, you know, it's worth noting, you and I have known each other for a little while now. Like, you know, I saw Cruella coming up uh, as they were breaking out of Chicago, and you were somebody who has always been so supportive about doing projects with Dynasty Podcasts, with Cruella, making sure we're taken care of, and always being so easy and enjoyable to work with, man. So it's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Well, um, you know, it's people like you, Haim, especially from the beginning, that you, you need their support. And um, e- even to this day, we'll respond to every single email that's, that's given out to us because at the very end of the day, the people are what make you big. So leave no stone unturned. There's opportunities everywhere. You know, man, let's start there, and then we're going to kind of get into some background. But I like this as a starting point because I see this a lot, and you can let me know if you see this. I see, and I'm not naming any names remotely, I see an artist start to come up. They maybe get like one write-up at Fader, or they maybe do one big showcase at South By, or they get one complex cover or something like that. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not even singling out any one specific artist. They get one write-up or one big thing, and then they're just untouchable. They won't do any press. They won't do any appearances. They won't work with anybody. They're just like top of the game, and they can't even be bothered. And then those people usually last like two months. Do you ever see that, you know, in the music side of things? Um, absolutely. But I think that the opportunities that you take all, always have to be conducive to the goals that you have. So for Cruella, I'm very blessed that they're extremely, extremely hardworking. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to, to fulfill their dreams. Because it was only a few years ago that they were some kids. All of us were just some kids here in Chicago trying to make it without any money in our pockets. And if we looked into the future like three, four years from then and said, you know, this is, these are the things that you need to do to make it there. Are you willing to do it? The answer is just absolutely 100% yes. So I, I think that a lot of people lose perspective as far as what had gotten them there. Um, but then there's also other artists. There's another artist that we're working with um, called Zoo. Um, who, who's exploded on the internet recently, and he came out completely nameless, completely faceless, anonymously, did a cover of uh, an outcast song. Uh, it was a medley with a deep house beat underneath it, and we released it completely anonymously, and he hasn't done any interviews whatsoever because he, there's that mystery to him. He wanted the man, um, or he, he wanted the music to speak for itself. So um, that was more conducive to what he wanted to do, and that's why we approached it that way. Well, let's talk about kind of the, the background and the upbringing, because you're talking about, you know, being kids from Chicago. You know, for you, did it start here in Chicago? Did you grow up here? Kind of where was your background before, you know, the Cruella era? Um, I moved to Chicago um, when I was a freshman in high school, and um, I, I went to Bennett Academy in Lyle, so I guess the suburbs of Chicago, and then um, for a while, Cruella and I, um, we lived in just, just over here in the West Loop, and... Um, yeah, we sort of came up in this scene where obviously it's the birthplace of house music, so um, the underground warehouse city raves were something that we started early on, um, just getting paid 
enough to get by, enough to eat. <laughs> Gas money. Uh, yeah. And, um, and there was also the big punk scene at the time, you know, Fallout Boys from the Chicago area. And there was a lot of stuff going on, particularly in the suburbs in the punk scene. So I think that it's easy to see that influence um, in Cruella's music as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's, there's always that accessibility and that melodicism that isn't always upfront in a lot of electronic music. Sometimes it's a lot harder, but Cruella's always had really strong pop sensibilities for sure. You know, so how did you start connecting with them? Was it something where you knew you wanted to be in the music industry and you were looking for a group to manage and, and help bring up, or did it kind of happen more um, innocently than that, where uh, you, know, um, you guys didn't know? It was, um, so, so I was a pre-med student. I had a scholarship through pre-med um, as a business major and a health science minor. I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. And, That's amazing, man. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I was at Benedictine University. My Asian parents were extremely, extremely proud of their firstborn son um, living out every dream that they came to America for. <laughs> and, and I... I I was never a good student. I always got good grades, um, and I always, whenever I could interact with the teacher in a good way, um, then I, I would do really, really well. Unfortunately, a lot of times you don't get good teachers, and e even if they're well-versed in that subject, they don't necessarily know how to teach, or their message doesn't necessarily resonate with their students. So particularly when I got to college, there were huge classrooms, and you couldn't connect with your teacher on a personal level at all, and I started to get really, really bored, and that, that kind of took me over the edge, and I started to get into the music scene. Um, just, just exploring my curiosity in music just sort of peaked at that particular time, and I started to get into hip-hop, and um, I was digging uh, through different things, just doing my research, the history of hip-hop, and um, I started getting on this blog called Go Wear Hip Hop, which is actually Chicago-based. And they, they had a little chat function in the corner of it. And I would go on there and I would just like network with all the people that were talking on it and talk about new releases. Um, and on that chat would be this local rapper named Esprim, who's actually in the back over here. And um, we, 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 started, we started talking and then it, that year, that, that fall, there was a secret Lupe fiasco show on Halloween that nobody had known about, and I had somehow figured out that that was happening. So we all decided we would meet up there and we would meet for, for the very first time. Esprim was there and he was complaining that his manager hadn't brought like the USB stick drive for uh, Lupe to hear his demo. And I was, just, I was just talking shit. I was like, I bet I could do this. And he was like, all right, do it then. I was like, excuse me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah let, let's see what you got. And I'm like, all right. So um, I went on MySpace. This was back in the MySpace days. And uh, I found some beats and some producers for him to work with. And he was like, all right, let's do this. And so um, Esprim was the first act that I managed and then his old manager actually um, hit him up and he's like, yo, check out this group Cruella on MySpace. Um, I checked them out and uh, they, they had a really cool sound. It was this sort of electro synth pop thing. Um, and we, we just jumped in the studio together. Immediately I saw that they were incredibly talented and still I had no idea what I was doing at all, but I asked if I could manage them. And they said yes. And um, after that, it was just, Look, looking back on it, I can't exactly pinpoint what made us dive so headfirst into it, but there was just this very natural excitement, this very natural pull to follow our passions, and so that's what we did. And um, we actually, we all got tattoos, six, eight, ten. Um, the girls have it on their necks because they knew that if they could get if they got tattoos on their necks, then they could never get a normal job again. And that was our dedication day. That was the day that we just quit everything that we had going for us, dropped out of school, they quit their jobs, 
and we dedicated our lives completely to music. And um, we, we started this, uh, again, just no idea what I was doing. We sort <laughs> started sort of doing this boot camp where um, we'd wake up in the morning, have them run and sing at the same time to develop their stage stamina. Um, we would do writing sessions in the studio, recording sessions, we'd do choreography. Um, we would do everything, just doing everything that we thought it took to become an artist. And early on, I adopted this strategy um, that I carry to this day that when an artist first debuts, I think that they should be two things. The first thing is competitive. I think that they need to be able to stand on the level of everybody else that, that is in their particular genre or their particular scene. And then the second one was to be unique. So despite the fact that you can compete with the highest level of singer-songwriters, producers, you still need to be able to stand out from the rest of them. You can't be just an exact copycat. And um, so for Cruella, they started out just wanting to be straight up, you know, pop pop artists. Um, we were looking at Britney Spears, um, we were looking at Katy Perry, Kesha, just all, all sorts of stuff like that, and that's where they sort of got their songwriting sensibility. They started writing pop songs, and there was something really special happening at that particular time where electronic dance music had started to really gain traction. And while we were writing these pop songs that were sort of on the radio, we were listening on a more underground level to like Skrillex and Deadmau5. And um, I told them one day, I was just like, guys, we're, we're listening to this music, but we're making this. Why don't we put the two together? And at the time, it was confusing. We didn't know exactly how to do it. We didn't know how to structure the songs. At the, at the time, dance music had no vocals to it. And so we, we had a hard time trying to figure out how to do that. But once we figured it out, it was just like, that, that was the first time that we were comfortable actually releasing music. And since I picked them up, that would be the first time that we would release music. Um, after about three years of development trying to figure out their identity as artists, we found this blend of pop and electronic music and put it together. And uh, that's sort of the Cruella sound that you hear today. So man, I mean, there's a lot you touched on there or that you covered there that I want to touch on. But one of the things that really strikes, that stands out to me about that story is that you guys were doing this for like three years. Mm -hmm. And something I see is that sometimes there's this sense of entitlement or impatience that artists have, or that a lot of people have, where they're like, I've been doing this for four weeks, how long is it gonna take? Mm -hmm. You know, and you guys were like you said, like doing boot camp, doing like all this, you know, all this prep work before you even put the content out there. You know, like what was it that inspired that level of patience and that level of perseverance and determination when everything now is so immediate, so, you know, no one has any patience for anything anymore. I think that part of the reason why artists are both blessed and cursed is that they're completely self-loathing. Um, they're very critical of themselves and that your, your expression is always something that's very, very vulnerable. And so you have to be critical of that because people are gonna perceive it in a certain way and you wanna be validated as, a, as an artist, that's one of the most important things. So coming up, we were just always thinking, it's not good enough, it's not good enough, it's not good enough. And finally it came to the point where we were comfortable enough with it, where we thought it was both competitive and unique. We're just like, okay, it, it, it's time to put this out. And that was the right timing for us. You know, talk about how your role evolved with the group, you know, because already you're starting to see the natural progression from just going out with some friends and just being like, I could do better than this, mm -hmm. to kind of getting into the thing where like, oh, maybe I could do this, to finding Cruella and starting to like, 
you know, work with them and, and all of you guys, you know, become what people would start to know you as. But I know that there was a difference between the Chicago days where maybe they're playing a, a room like Cobra Lounge for yeah. zombies versus skeletons compared to Coachella or something like that, right. you know? Like, how did your role start to evolve as the group started to really expand beyond what they were in Chicago? Um, I think that the patience to release content really paid off because once we released, it, it, was, um, it was an explosion. Um, it was, the first couple of releases that we got, got, our, got us on all the blogs for the very first time. And, um, you know, as Jaime read in the Billboard article earlier, um, being on the blogs isn't enough, but we started developing the, these relationships, at least with the bloggers. And then um, my partner and I, Jake Udell, who went to high school with Cruella, partnered up. And we did a release together that we're being recorded, so I can't say too, too much about it. <laughs> but um, basically, we did, we, we remixed a Skrillex song before it had come out, it had leaked, and we called it the official version and released it to everybody, every major media outlet. And um, everybody thought that Skrillex's first single were featuring these kids called Cruella from Chicago. But it, having that patience to have released, it, it, it was tough because we, we were so poor at that time. Right before we released the, the song uh, Killing It, which would, took them over the edge, um, they had negative $25 in their bank account. They were washing their hair with laundry detergent because they couldn't afford shampoo. And um, we shot that music video for $45. And what that $45 was for was for the car adapter in the car so that we could plug in the lights and shoot in the parking lot in the West Loop that we wanted to shoot in. And after we shot that video, which was done with um, uh, a multimedia group out here called Radio Edit, actually, who did all Pretty Lights content. And we shot that video, and the next day, every single major label was calling us. And we just got completely thrown into this crazy world of, of bidding wars and people who had been in this game for several decades knowing exactly what they were doing, or at least they thought they did, but they had never encountered these kids from Chicago that had so much confidence and conviction for what they were doing. And we live in an awesome time not only in just like the music business, but with culture in general, where everything is changing. The, it, particularly with the music industry, the major labels are failing. People don't know how exactly, where, where the revenue models lie. Um, radio is be becoming less relevant and online streaming is becoming more relevant. What are the ramifications of publishing and royalties when it comes to all of that? And being a 25 year old now, and still being really, really young, and now our company is very young. We've hired, uh, we, we have six employees now, um, and we're all just 20-somethings that are really passionate about what we do. But we, we're always absorbing information because these, a, a lot of these older people, they're kind of sticking to their ways of how they thought it could work. Now it's about looking to the future and say, which way will work? Let's take some risks. Let's figure out how to do it. And so we came into it knowing what kind of deal we wanted. And we're, I had always read about like these legendary deals, like Drake signing a $2 million distribution deal to Universal, Mike Posner signing for a million dollars to Jive for RCA or whatever it was. And I wanted one of those, so we, we treated it that way. And when I look back on it, there was so much blind confidence, but there, there was conviction and then confidence that came with that. 
And that's sort of what allowed us to get to where we were with just absolutely no fear. Is it something, you know, I hear this a lot when people talk about, you know, success stories when they're looking back. Is it something where if you knew then how much hard work it would be, it would have scared you guys off? Is it something where everyone succeeded because they maybe didn't realize what was going to be asked of everyone? Um, no. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I think we fully, fully expected the... After the major labels started calling the next day after we released Killing It, um, I basically, Jake and I were on the phone pretty much like 18 hours a day. So we're like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. Our phone bills are gonna be crazy. <laughs> let me, he, he lived up in Northbrook. I said, just let me move in for the week and let's, let's just work like this. And um, for that whole week, we did 20 hour days. And I mean, still to this day, we'll do however many hours it takes. It's, that, that's what it takes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, again, you know, there's this expectation that these things are going to happen overnight. And it's, it, I'm so happy to hear you talking about concepts we've explored in this class about the absolute need to evolve, to be doing new things, and to put in the time and see it through because it doesn't happen overnight. Although, I think to anyone who wasn't paying attention, it probably looked like Cruella came up overnight, you know? So talk about kind of, what shifted internally and externally, you know, within the group and how you guys operated and everything else when you guys made the jump from being Chicago kids to being on a major label, you know, releasing Get Wet and starting to be on the national and international kind of stages? Mm -hmm. Well, one of, one of the main responsibilities when, as a, as a manager, when you reach a certain level is to be a leader, to be a team leader, to be able to delegate responsibility to all your different team members. So. Um, for an artist, that'll include their their lawyer, um, who was somebody that I, I just told him a book that you guys should all read is All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald Passman. It's like my Bible to teach you everything that you need to know from a technical standpoint. That's All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald Passman. And after I finished reading the book, um, I needed a lawyer for Cruella, and so I, I literally Googled Donald Passman, found his law offices, and called him, and it must have sounded crazy, just like this kid calling basically one of the most famous lawyers in the music industry, and uh, he, he, he was excited, but he, he said he, he was too busy to do it, and he recommended this lawyer in New York City who was a younger guy, um, and that's Cruella's lawyer to this day. Uh, it also includes their business manager, um, who handles all their finances. There's a lot of taxes when it comes to doing all the different states and things like that. Um, there's, there's their booking agent who does all their shows. There's obviously their, their record label they're signed to Columbia Records and all the people who are included in that team between their A&Rs, their product managers, they've got in-house publicists, video commissioners, um, you know, an entire company. Um, they've got, uh, we've got our publicist. That, that, that's, that's the core of it. So, you know, talk about, because this is a management class that we're in right now, talk about your role, you know, because when you guys are in the West Loop, it's you, it's the group, mm -hmm. it's not a big team. Mm -hmm. And now they've got the whole team behind them, you know, they've got the squad. And, and what does your role change into where you go from being kind of like the only dead mother to having many, many people helping. Are you in charge of all of them when it comes to Corella? Are you a facilitator? Kind of how does that work for you? Um, at the end of the day, pretty much, you are a liaison between the group and the rest of the world. They can't be talking to these people. They're focused on making music. Um, so all the decisions pretty much come through you. You interpret it in a way that the group can understand, in a way that's conducive to their goals. And 
you know, it, it can get frustrating, honestly, to have a lot of cooks in the kitchen and a lot, a lot of people have different opinions, but it's sort of the manager's job to keep everybody focused and keep, keep their eye on the prize. Like, this is what we're trying to accomplish with this. This is the campaign that we're doing now. This is how you fulfill your role as part of the team within that campaign. So, you know, let's talk about something I see that Cruella does really, really well, um, and that is keeping their audience engaged. Um, you know, Cruella through their SoundCloud is releasing, I, I don't know how, how regularly, but I see new mixtapes all the time, every couple weeks, maybe once a month. Um, they have a web series that is on their YouTube channel. They're always doing all sorts of cool things, whether it's like a live stream from a festival or you know, interacting through Twitter. The, the point is Cruella always has an active presence and it's constantly, it's not just like we released an album in September, we'll see you guys in a year and a half when we release another one. So how does that process work where you're always putting out new material so that the audience remains engaged? And how important is that in an age where people just, they have no attention span and no loyalty, they just flip onto the next thing so quickly? Right, it's tough. I mean, there's always the expectation of you to release a lot of content these days. So you have to take advantage of it and you also have to be cognizant of the fact that it has to be good content. Otherwise, you're just gonna, you're, you're gonna fall off. You have 20 seconds of a video to convince somebody to watch the whole entire thing. Um, and you might have one video to convince somebody to completely fall in love with your act. Um, there's definitely has to be a consistency to it, but it's exciting, you know, you get to work with a bunch of different people um, in multimedia formats, you know, from a, from a video team, they're putting mixes together. We partnered with uh, SiriusXM, um, the BPM channel, which is why they release it so regularly, because they post it those once a month. But honestly, I think at, at this particular time, it's hard because, you, you take Miley Cyrus as an example. She is constantly on your newsfeed in some sort of way. Miley did this, she just released that, she collabed with this guy. Did she, you see her twerk on this? Like all, all this different stuff. Um, and it, it's just like, it, it's so much of an oversaturation. Um, but I think that what makes our artists special and a strategy that we continue to pursue with our artists on Third Brain is that we're beginning to see the landscape of what's happening and we can't, it's, if I were to ask you guys who are the icons of our generation, I think you would have trouble saying so. Who, who's the Beatles for us? Who's our Pink Floyd? Who's our Led Zeppelin? Who's our Elvis? Who's our Michael Jackson? And I couldn't honestly, at least from my perspective, I couldn't proudly say one of these artists right now. And I think that that's because they don't necessarily stand for anything. It's so, it, it, it's so shallow in the, in the way that we consume media now because it's so consistent. And all, all we wanna do is be entertained. And there are, there are a lot of great things for social media. It's connected people more than they ever have before. But it's interesting what's happening to us as human beings because people feel lonelier than they ever have before. And we're constantly seeking validation from how many likes we can get, how many comments we can get. That's all we care, and we're constantly looking for it. Instead of being, instead of internalizing something and feeling a certain sort of way, and that feeling can move entire generations. And those movements, you take the 1960s as an example, those movements were so powerful. They moved an entire culture, how they felt, how the politics of that particular era worked. And then you, and you have the artists that represent those 
You, you have the artists that represent those movements. You have the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix in the 60s feeling a part of something bigger. And with our artists now, what we're trying to find is what do they stand for? What, what is the voice of our generation that hasn't been spoken yet? Um, and that's really what we're focusing on now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy because, you know, and I feel like this is such a, a bigger topic that you and I could talk about for two hours in a different chat, but, like, you're talking about, you know, you know, like, things like Woodstock that define a generation, and now I'm thinking, like, we've got an Oscar selfie that united <laughs> a generation, and that's, that's our kind of, like, barometer. It's yeah. really different. Um, you brought up Third Brain, um, and I don't think we've really touched on that in the conversation, and Third Brain is your company. I'm going to let you describe it, but kind of talk about how that happened why you wanted to launch your own company and what the, you know, kind of what the advantages are of that and also how much work goes into that. So when Jake and I started to realize that the work that we had done together was not a partnership that was short term and that we could really start building a team together. And honestly, when Jake and I first met, we didn't get along at all. Um, he has a series on YouTube that we do once every couple of weeks called 20-something, and we'll have guests on um, that he hosts. And you can see that um, Jake is the ultimate salesman. He is like a, a very fast-talking Jew. He can sell you on anything. And um, for, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit more artistically minded and a little bit more philosophical. So for, for the first time when we met, we didn't get along at all. And then when we actually partnered on a release and we were able to bounce these ideas and execute something together, we realized that where our values lied was what we had in common. And those were things like an artist's longevity, not being something that's a flash in the pan, um, standing for something higher than just um, this, this music that was happening at that particular time, trying to create icons of our generation. So um, we created this company, and now we have a few employees who are, as I mentioned, um, very passionate young individuals. And um, we're, we're, we're building a few other acts. We have Cruella. Um, we've got this other Scandinavian DJ duo called Pegboard Nerds. Um, we have Zoo, who I mentioned earlier, is this faceless, um, faceless electronic vocalist act. And we have, um, we have this new act, Steven Swartz, who maybe I'll play you something later, who I think stands for something really, really special. For anyone who's in the class, because we're going to open it up to some student questions really shortly, but for anyone who's in the class who's either looking to explore a career as an artist or explore a career as a manager or move into the music space or even just pursue some kind of creative career, mm -hmm. what do they need to know? Because it's, I think, both easier and more difficult than ever to do it. It's easier than ever to like create a Tumblr, YouTube, and an Instagram, create a logo, maybe book a couple shows and be like, hey, we're, we're a thing, but it's harder than ever to stand out because you're competing against, everything's competing against everything. A new refrigerator is competing against Captain America 2, is competing against the new Jay-Z album, is, it's not, there's no separation. Right. So, you know, what advice would you give for anybody listening or in the room who wants to go out and, and pursue what they're gonna do? First and foremost, content is king. Um, that, that artist development process with Cruella and what we continue to do with all our other artists is that on, in every single facet, it's got to be something that people can fall in love with. Um, beyond that, I, I said something earlier that Cruella had gotten on the blogs with their first couple releases, but with the oversaturation of content now, you go on the blogs and you're just like scroll, 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 until you find some sort of name that you're familiar with. So another 
another value that we've really picked up is the value of a story. What, what is that headline going to read? Why is the user going to click this story for the very first time and listen to your music? What, what is the landscape that an artist exists in? I'm sorry, what was your question? <laughs> no, just kind of what advice, you know, for anybody who wants to go be an artist, become a manager, oh, okay. yeah. you know, so, what, so what do they need to know? First and foremost, yeah, definitely focus on the content because that's what's going to help gravitate, uh, help people gravitate towards you. Um, I think that something that's extremely important is networking now because and and with all of that networking, something that we touched on earlier is leave no stone unturned because you never know where an opportunity lies. So you have to, if, if you're low on time, then there's always more hours than you can put in. Um, but there could be opportunities lying anywhere. You never know who someone could end up being. Um, and you, they're, they're, the music business is very, very small. Everybody begins to know one another, particularly when, when you start being more and more successful, you realize that a, a few people really run the game. And you know you, you got to figure out how to reach those people, and the more people that you're connecting with, the, the better your chances are. You know, something else I think that's important too is that reputation really carries. You know, talking about how small the music business is, and I always talk about how Chicago is a really small creative community, mm -hmm. not just with music, but in general. But even more so now, I'm seeing just on the national stage with social media, people know each other. You know, the people who are making moves start to get seen. So how important is maintaining some level of awareness and how you're presenting yourself across social media and in real world situations? Um, I think that you just have to be completely authentic. Um, you know, you, you have to know where your values lie early on and as you gain more success, there's a lot of temptations to do things that aren't conducive to what your goal. All right, we lost audio there for about one minute, but we were able to get it back up and running really quickly. Cool. So we, we cut out for a second there, um, but we were just talking about the longevity of popbacks and how it's, it's very short and keeping up with the content is really hard. Uh, let's keep moving on. Who else has? Yes. Yeah. How do you, how do you divide the time and attention and, and resources, you know, when you've got Corella, who's like, obviously kind of like, you know, the larger project, and then there's other things that you're dividing your time with? Um, yeah. I mean... My plate isn't so incredibly full right now where I have like a roster of dozens and dozens of artists and honestly, I don't know how those managers do it. Um, I, I think those relationships are less personal. As far as my MO, at the end of my life, if I manage six of the biggest acts that existed in our generation, that would be a huge, if I, if I manage one of those, that would be a huge testament. But I, at the end of the day, I don't want to manage that many acts because the relationship between artists and managers probably the closest relationship that there is um, in, in the music business. So it's important that they get your personal attention and luckily also they, they move between cycles. So Cruella released their debut album in September and now they're, they're on tour, they're on this college tour and they're in the studio a little bit but there's not some huge promotional campaign or activity going on right now so that leaves me time to dedicate to someone like Steven and you know develop, develop, develop him as an artist. Well, what does Corella stand for? Um, you know what, I think that there's still some room for them to grow um, as far as figuring that out. One of my favorite songs on their past album was a song called Human because I think that really speaks to the vulnerability of people and that's that sort of feeling that is able to resonate with people. Why? 
we, there, there, there's so many expectations. One of the lines is like, the weight of the world is holding me down. Um, you know, sometimes life can just feel so heavy and overbearing, particularly now because of how much external stimuli is going on in, in our lives. It's so like rapid fire, so many things coming at us. It's hard to stay. Um, it, it's hard to stay happy, honestly. And sometimes you just need to be vulnerable. So that song in particular was something that I really, really liked. But um, even even their hit "Alive." Um, I think a big reason why it was so popular is because people feel that way. They, 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 they want to feel awakened and they want to live every moment as fully and deeply as possible. And sometimes we just have to be reminded of that. But as far as what they're going to stand for, what they're going to be known for, I think that still has yet to be seen. Well, let's get some more management questions. Yeah. Was it how do you know to, how, how did you know that like this was what you wanted to dedicate your life to and that's such a, such a big risk. Is that, am I getting it right? Okay. Um, I think that when, when I look back on it, I have no idea what drove us to do that, honestly. Um, it, it was being a little bit naive, but now I definitely continue to pursue that mentality because at the very end of the day, you know, pe people are always asking, what, what is the meaning of life? And it's, it's, it's a very easy answer. Be the best that you can be. But we're always, um, we're, we're always giving into the expectations of other people of us, whether that's your parents, whether that's your friends, whether that's society as a whole. You're supposed to hold a normal job or whatever. And people don't follow their excitement too much because of, the, because of that fear that you might fail. And failure is absolutely inevitable. In fact, the most successful people in the world have failed more times than anybody else. And it's... It, it's in your failure that you actually can find lessons and you can change in a very profound way by learning those lessons. I, um, whenever I pick up an artist, I have them watch this um, commencement speech that Conan O'Brien did at Dartmouth because he talks about, I mean, Conan was somebody who had been dropped as a, as a host from the legendary nightly news show. And that, that must have been devastating. That, that's your entire life's work is building up to that moment. And he's definitely experienced failure in a very deep way. But also what had gotten him to where he was was that he wanted to be David Letterman. And in his fail, failure to not be David Letterman, he became Conan O'Brien. And David Letterman wanted to be Johnny Carson, but he could not because in, inherently he's just a different person. And in his failure to become Johnny Carson, he became the legendary David Letterman. So I think it's important to embrace our failures and just have absolutely no fear. And so for us right now, at the end of the day, honestly, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be a manager. Um, in a couple of years, I don't know if I'm going to be a manager. We're, we're, uh, we're opening up a record label side to our business and um, because we're finding that increasingly the power is shifting just a little bit more towards management. The labels don't really know what they're doing as much anymore. It's not like put it on the radio and you're going to sell a bunch of records and that's how we're going to make our money. 
it's not like that anymore and you have to have a sort of more overall picture. The reason why a lot of times I will butt heads with major labels is because their revenue model is antiquated. Their revenue model is still to sell songs and to sell albums. <laughs> like you're, you're out of Good your luck. mind. <laughs> yeah, um, but for, for me as a manager, we, have, we, we make money off of commission. So you make money off of the overall picture of how much money your artist makes. And so we're able to have that overall picture as far as what would make them successful rather than just one aspect. But it's important to keep all those different aspects focused on the, the goals that the artist has. We're gonna do one or two more questions. Richard, I know you had one. So how do you, yeah, how do you build that community around your artists? Um, I think that it's a, it's a few things. I think as a general philosophy um, with Cruella, they've always been very, very grateful for their fans and they, they endearingly refer to them as the crew. Um, they're, they're regularly replying to their messages on social media. They do a ton of meet and greets pretty much every single night, um, even, and they don't have to. It's, it's that engagement and it's that gratitude towards the fans because at the end of the day, they're, they're the ones that got you there. And I think too many, um, too, too, too many artists treat their fans too casually, seeing it as merely a statistic, just a number, uh, especially in light of social media. That's what it looks like. But I mean, th these are real people. Yeah, man, I, I see that community interaction with the audience all the time. You know, the, it really comes through and you can tell it's really authentic. And I know that that makes a difference in how people connect with them. And I think it creates a longer lasting bond, you know, from the audience side with the artist. Let's do one more. And then I think Nathan had some videos he wanted to show us. And then we're going to call it a day here. Um, one more good question from the audience. Yep. How do you stay sane, man? Um, <laughs> it's a good closing question. My family holds me down for sure. Um, I, um, I, I meditate every single day. I think that, you know, that validation from external sources um, is something that a lot of people struggle with, um, particularly in this generation. Why do we need to be so liked by so many people? Um, why do we have to have this many friends? Um, and for, for me, when I meditate, I kind of find, find my own center. I get in touch with like my own feelings, my own excitements, whatever's bothering me at that particular time. And um, I, I can, I can, it, it just comes back to base like that. And um, the, the, the artists that I work with, I'm also very, very blessed to have them. Yeah, man. Nathan Lim, manager of Corella, operator, owner of Third Brain. Is that fair to say? Yep, yep, yeah. along with my partner Jake, and uh, shout out to the whole Third Brain team. Yeah, man, and uh, you know, doing really great work, you're somebody who I've always enjoyed working with, and you guys have always taken really great care of myself and my endeavors to ever do any projects with Corella, get them on the podcast, do any journalism stuff with them, and even coming out today, man, when I reached out to you at the beginning of the semester, I said, hey, do you think you maybe would have time to do a Skype session? I was never gonna be like, hey, jump on a plane. It was like, hey, do you think you could carve out 40 minutes to jump on your laptop? And Nathan, swear to God, was just like, you know what? I'm gonna be out of Chicago at some point. I'll come through. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then later he's like, you know what? I don't know when my trip is gonna be. I'm just gonna fly out there. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's so incredible. Most people would be like, I maybe got 10 minutes for Skype cross country. So man, it's, it's really incredible to see what you've been able to accomplish with Cruella, with everything else you've done. And, and that personal connection really comes through and stays authentic with you. So thank you so much for coming out today and, and for everything else you've always done with us and really for coming and speaking with everyone here today, man. I really no appreciate worries. it. I, I mean, I just want to say quickly that, you know, all, I, every single one of you here, you're, the reason why you're here is because you're passionate individuals about 
music, regardless of whether it's being a manager or something else, or uh, maybe not even music, but just some sort of art. And I know that that can be really, really confusing because it's not the, and, and I, don't, I don't think this is the case for any profession anymore, but you know, it's not go to school, get an internship, get a job, and work your way up until the end. And um, it, it takes a lot of courage to be doing what you're doing and to continue to pursue that. So just uh, don't give up, work hard, and really that's all it takes. Awesome. And Nathan Lim, manager of Corella, owner-operator at Third Brain, thank you so much for coming out for Columbia College and Dynasty Podcast today, man. I could not appreciate it more. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Hyman. Yeah. This has been the Dynasty Podcast pod class series. Thanks to Nathan Lim of Cruella for being on the show, Columbia College Chicago for hosting Dynasty Podcasts, and Layla Irayel for engineering and producing this interview. You can find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black. Dynasty Descend.